Hi, everyone. So we got Matt on, and this is all done on short notice. So sorry about that, but I can see we got a few people in here already. So um, why don't we just kind of just jump right in and start? Uh, I just wanted to say that this is not going to be a very long space. As, um, we really just want to focus on Matt's thread today on the Hamilton 68 situation uh, the whole Russian bot hoax and just talk through that and its implications. Um, so that's the idea. Now, before I kind of give the microphone to Matt and, you know, ask him some questions about his thread or let him explain it to us, uh, let's, let me just give a quick overview of what happened uh, today with Matt's thread. So Matt found a number of really interesting uh, emails uh, during his Twitter search. And uh, most importantly, there's emails from Twitter executives like our old friend, Joel Roth, the safety guy. Um, and what happened is that there was a group called Hamilton 68, and they kept pushing this narrative that there were these Russian bots out there and that these Russian bots were uh, seeding disinformation and, you know, all this usual stuff. And Twitter actually did something good. And this is the old Twitter. This is 2017, 2018. They kind of reverse engineered to try and figure out what Hamilton 68 is on about because they already knew, and Matt has already talked about this before, they knew that there were no Russian bots. I mean, they already searched. There, there was just nothing, nothing like that. So anyway, they reverse engineered what these Hamilton 68 people were doing, and they figured out that Watch out. Twitter, they figured out that these weren't Russian bots at all. These were just normal Americans. These were just normal accounts. It was just that this group, Hamilton 68, said they were Russian bots, didn't tell anyone uh, who was on this list of bots, just, uh, you know, were like, trust me, it's, uh, these are Russian bots. And they weren't at all. And the media, of course, parroted uh, Hamilton 68 and caused tremendous damage, um, you know, blaming basically anything on, on these Russian bots. And, you know, if, when you go through Matt's thread, you'll see that there's a whole number of things there, which, you know, I think very crucially go beyond Trump. This isn't just, you know, uh, Trump and Russia collusion or whatever. They went after uh, Tulsi Gabbard. They went after, uh, you know, any number of people, any number of topics. And the media just kind of took it all in. And then maybe before I give it to Matt, just one final point, which is that the uh, while the media parroted it, Twitter didn't speak up. Twitter had reverse engineered what's going on here. They figured out it wasn't Russian bots, but they let the this narrative that is Russian bots, they let it stand. So maybe that can be the first question to Matt. Matt, first of all, thanks so much for joining on short notice. Why do you think that Twitter did not pipe up when, when they found out what's really going on. Right, I can't see Matt right now. I've, uh, I kept pressing uh, to make him speaker, make him whatever, and and then he suddenly dropped out. So let's see if we can... Oh, there he is. Sorry about that. I, uh, I tried to do no, it no. on my desktop and uh didn't work, so... Uh, I'm sorry. So, what was the what was the question? That thanks for having me on, by the way, Hans. Well, thanks for coming on, and especially on such short notice. Um, yeah, maybe first of all, why do you think Twitter didn't pipe up? So, Twitter figured out what was going on. They they figured out that these Hamilton sixty eight people that this was just a a bunch of crap. So, why did they just keep quiet and let this this fake narrative just run its course? 
Well, there's a little bit of an unknown there, and that's unfortunately one of the things that I don't have a concrete answer for. All I um, all I have are a few indications. Um, clearly, there was some dialogue between some of the higher ups um, who were concerned about preserving relationships, not just with um, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, uh, but perhaps with some of the politicians who were um, promoting uh, that think tank and Hamilton 68. So there was some delicacy there. You see that there were, um, were a couple of future prominent Democratic officials who were in the comms department at Twitter who were talking about playing the long game and um, needing to proceed with caution. And then also, actually, there's one that I didn't publish from Yoel Roth talking about how... Um, if, if we if we confront them, we're going to have to admit that we have their list. I don't know why that was a problem. And also, they were afraid of maybe giving it oxygen by confronting them, which I think was a mistake, but that, that was another thing that, that they mentioned. Uh, were you able to figure out exactly how the reverse engineering works or worked? Um. I mean, look, I'm kind of a Luddite with this kind of stuff, uh, but I talked to enough people who do this for a living who explained to me that this would be a, rel a relatively simple thing for Twitter to figure out. Like, in other words, um, Hamilton 68 would have needed to make um, a series of requests, uh, API requests to uh, Twitter in order to... Um, create its dashboard and uh the way it was explained to me one person who would definitely know said this is the kind of thing you could assign an intern to do which is a, in fact uh it looks like is what happened <laughs> it looks like it looks like roth uh, hired an intern to do it um and uh so yeah they would they would have had enough information to figure that out that was one of the first things that i that i made sure was true and do you have the full list? I know I you, you only published a few of the names. And um, I, and you spoke to some of the people who uh, who you named. Yeah, and, and, I, and I've only just kind of started going through the process of talking to everybody. I mean, I, I, I've sent the list to some media reporters uh, with the purpose of that being so that they could um, – maybe try to do a story on the fakeness of the, all those other news stories. I'm a little hesitant to publish the list, I, although I may end up doing that. I just, because there might be some people who might be offended um, to, to see themselves even indirectly um, accused of being like uh, agents of Russian influence or whatever. So I want to get a little bit of um, a better sense of how people feel about that before I publish it. But I do have the list and I'm sure it's going to be made public eventually. Right. So just, just so that everyone's on the same page here, uh, this is about 600 people. 644. Right? And so these 644 people, if I understand correctly, are just basically just normal people like you and I or anyone else who just share their views on Twitter and, you know, tweet stuff. And then they were, unbeknownst to themselves, they were labeled as Russian bots and then used by this Hamilton group to sort of push that narrative. Yeah, so there were really like three buckets of, um, 
accounts in, in this list. There's 644 accounts. Um, a handful of them are just sort of obvious Russian accounts, right? Like ha- there's at Kremlin Russia, at RT America, at Sput- Sputnik INT, at MFA Russia, at Government RF, right? Like th- those are Russian accounts. Um, but you run out of those pretty quickly. And when you look at the data, there's only 36 out of the 644 that were created in Russia. Um, 86% of the accounts are in English. And then, you know, I started contacting people on the list. Um, I ran out of obvious Russians in the first dozen uh, accounts or so um, and started hitting obvious Americans, Canadians, Brits uh, right after that. So most of these accounts are uh, sort of normal tweeters. A few of them are high-profile media people, like you know the writer David Horowitz for some reason is on there. Uh, the editor of Consortium's on there. There's a Newsmax figure, um, another Fox figure in there, if I remember correctly. Um, there are a couple of activists uh, and even a magazine. Um, so. Uh, and then lastly, there is a, a a group of accounts that you might qualify as like spammy. They um, Twitter analyzed them and found them that like they didn't accumulate followers. Some of them had labels, which mean, meant they were being shadow banned. Um, so that's probably somewhere around a fifth of the accounts. But they they're not amplifying these accounts. I think this is important to understand that even if those accounts are like automated or bots, which they may be, they may be somebody's second account, but they're not like uh, Russian robots who are, you know, amplifying stories. That's not what's going on uh, with this, with this activity. Yeah, not at all. And you have, I mean, if, if people want to take a look, you, uh, you kind of collated a lot of headlines that came out of this. So basically the media piggybacked off of this Hamilton 68 project and whatever those the Hamilton 68 people said, the media would just go and parrot it and make big stories out of it. And um, so what you did is you took a whole bunch of these headlines and you copied and pasted them into sort of a giant mosaic. And <laughs> that that's uh, tweet 28. If people want to have a look, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And what it really shows is that this isn't just Trump. I mean, we're used to this sort of the whole Russian bot thing is all about Trump and collusion and whatever. But this this goes beyond. This is um, smearing Laura Ingram from uh, Fox News. Or, or Tulsi Gabbard. Um, lots of Tulsi Gabbard. That's right. So Bernie. anything that wasn't so – right. Um, so anything – walk away, that, that, that effort, that, that project um, – I mean, I see, you know, you can have a look yourself. Uh, there's a lot of just different stuff here, which isn't Trump. And I think that's sort of the nefariousness of it all, isn't it? That where you, I mean, it was nefarious when it was just Trump as well. But this goes beyond that. You you kind of just smear an entire nation of people and just say, well, Russia is, is a code word for bad. And whenever we use that code word, anything associated with that is bad. And then we use it to go after any one of our enemies. It could be media. It could be uh you know something to do with uh uh culture wars it could be trump it could be anything yeah and and there there's stuff in there that like if you've worked as a reporter um that are kind of a tell uh <laughs> you know, there was one 
one headline that I ran into by um, Kevin Drum, who's otherwise a pretty decent writer, but he's writing for Mother Jones. And this is way back in October of 2017. But he has a headline that reads, here's what Russian trolls are promoting today. Uh, and what that just says to me is I didn't have anything to write about, so I went over to Hamilton 68 and see what they said uh, and saw what they said. Basically, Hamilton was a service that uh, reporters pretty quickly picked up on was very handy. Like they could just go over there and see what the dashboard said. Like on that particular day, Tucker Carlson was the most uh, searched item. Now we know because we have the list now that that's probably because these people were all conservatives or there were a lot of conservatives on the list. So they were like organically searching for Tucker Carlson. Uh, but uh, Kevin Drum sees the list and he writes, the Russians really like Tucker Carlson. So that's that's the scam right there. That's the whole thing. They, they, they just took ordinary people who were doing ordinary things, but they because they had this uh, organization that was saying it was Russian bot activity, now you could say, oh, the Russians like Tucker Carlson, they like Tulsi Gabbard, they like Bernie Sanders, they, they like the walk away movement, they, they like release the memo, whatever it is. Um, it, it just became like a reflex and they did it for years. I mean, that, that, that mosaic is like a small slice of the stories. So, uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, and again, this idea of going beyond Trump, just using this as a, as a sort of all purpose cudgel that as soon as you say Russia, you know, not, not only, um, do you get the, the media to jump on board and run all these hundreds and hundreds of stories, but um, as you point out, you also got these so-called fact checkers on there. So they too jumped on that bandwagon. So as soon as Hamilton 68 said Russia, the fact checkers, Polit Facts, Snopes, whatever, you have great screenshots on your thread, would come back and say, yep, there, there, there it is. Russian bots. Russia is pushing this or that. And then of particular interest to me, I found the, the academic side that you, that you um, also found there that basically academic institutions, academic papers, were using this stuff as, as authoritative uh, citations, um, you know, unheard of stuff. So what, in your view, would it have taken, I mean, other than just common sense, <laughs> were there any steps, simple steps that people could have taken in sort of 2017, 18 to kind of just run this down? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what's so amazing about the Snopes and, uh, and PolitiFact um, thing, that they're using... Uh, these sites as uh, sources look as a reporter if somebody comes to me and says hey I have this like device that measures whether Russian bots um, you know are, are supporting a hashtag or something like that and I say okay how does it work and they say well we have 600 accounts and, and they're you know they're, they're closely linked to, to Russian influence um, and you ask them well Who's in those accounts? Now, their excuse was, oh, if we tell you, then the Russians will will immediately shut those accounts down. Now, that's the moment as a reporter where I walk away. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> come back when you've got a real story, right? Um, but every single reporter did not ask that question. And it's amazing that fact checkers and academics just sort of took it on faith 
that the thing inside, like the secret machine inside that box uh, was like full of, you know, Russian spies or Russian cyber spies. They, they never demanded to see it. And uh, I, I think it speaks to the incredibly low level of, you know, due diligence within the, these agencies that, that it made it this far without anybody asking that question. Right. So you got this guy uh, who was who actually testified before Congress and all these things, uh, Clint Watts, who was running this this thing. Um, did you I guess you do the, the, the keyword searches, right? You sort of said, could you could I please have emails that contain Hamilton 68, for instance? Would, was that how it worked? Uh, no. Oh, well, yes, I did. Yes, that, 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 that was that was how this eventually and, came out. I mean, I, it, what happened first was I, was I was looking for something else and I ran into a conversation about this subject and um, did a secondary search to, to uncover, find, find out if there was more. And there was, so um, that, that's how this happened. Which as an aside, I mean, that's fascinating. And as an aside, it shows again how um, kind of, uh, hit and miss this whole effort is by necessity the way it's organized mm-hmm. and i understand that you know uh elon is not going to just take like giant uh, hard drives full of terabytes of information just you know dump them all, uh, out in, in public so that there's sort of a process as, as i think you mentioned you know uh making sure that low-level employees aren't exposed and things like that right but, um coming back to the uh the issue of like you know asking for keyword searches i say hamilton 68 please give me all the emails did you were there any emails from say media or uh, people like Adam Schiff or whatever who inquired with Twitter about this? Yes, I got into uh, that a little bit in the previous thread that I did about release the memo. Um, there were a number of emails from Blumenthal, um, Schiff, and Feinstein's offices. Uh, there were also some media inquiries from the Washington Post, if I remember correctly, and a couple of others. Uh, and then you see, you know, in response to those queries, you see basically um, Twitter arguing with itself. Should we tell them on the record that this is crap? Should we not? Uh, and they end up not doing it. Um, but in the case of the politicians, they were very vociferous in telling them, and I, I can, you know, I can confirm that they told Blumenthal, you know, don't go near this stuff, and he did it anyway, right? So um, I think that's probably what happened with most of these reporters. They were told off the record that this this thing is not, you know, um, real, and uh, nonetheless, it happened. I should also mention that there are a number of other research institutions that did did stuff like Hamilton 68 that um, that Twitter was also upset about. I just haven't found enough about those things yet to write about those. So, and then when you, uh, I mean, yesterday everyone's interest was obviously piqued with your with your <laughs> tweets. So you asked some of these people associated with uh, um, this Alliance for Securing Democracy that was running the, the Hamilton 68 project. So you asked Michael Morrell, former CIA chief, um, McFaul, the, this, this, uh, this crazed uh, former ambassador in Russia, uh, well, I know, I know John Podesta. As it happens, uh, we, we're, we're not friends with each other. But anyway, go ahead. 
<laughs> yeah, I know his Twitter feed is really something. Uh, Bill Crystal. So, did any of them respond? No. To you? And and the the reason I was I was decided to go go hostile about it on Twitter was because I like look I genuinely want to know if there's an innocent explanation for this. Um, looking at the at the list, um, there's there's almost no conclusion that you can come to. Um, other than that, this is a scam, you know. And so, I, I the way I phrased it to them in my initial uh, query um, was, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, I have your list. I know you've been keeping it secret, uh, but if there's a reason that that you constructed it this way, if you have some kind of information that that justifies the construction of this list, like, I really want to hear it. Like, I, I, you know, I don't want to go out there and print a fake story, but rather than answer me, um, you know, you, you see what the result was, which tells, I think, I think that speaks volumes as well. Right. So, um, you know, they, they, they weren't interested in defending their research. I'm sure they're not going to be excited when the names are released, if, if they're, if they're released. So, um, so yeah, so that's why that's why that happened. Look, I mean, the same thing, same thing with some of these media organizations. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wanted MSNBC to give me an answer. Like, well, you know, did you ever ask Clint Watts, who you hired, uh, what the methodology was? Did you ever ask to see it? Like, are you worried about that? Did you ever fact check it? Um, you know, once upon a time, a media organization would have definitely answered a query like that, even if even if they knew it was coming from a hostile source. And now they're just blowing it off because the whole strategy is to is to ignore these kinds of things. Did you ever uh, uh, look at? Oh, did you have? I, I know you've been in San Francisco looking at these things. You probably, you know, totally snowed under. But uh, the, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, this is the originator of this hoax. Um, did, were you able to kind of dig into that and, you know, who's paying for that? Well, so it's an outgrowth of the German Marshall Fund. I think in some, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in some way it's connected to the Atlantic Council. You know, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald did a story about it in 2017 because at the time it was kind of a groundbreaking thing to see a former Marco Rubio aide like Jamie Fly and a former Hillary for America official like uh, Laura Rosenberger, who were the co-founders of Hamilton 68, for them to kind of openly embrace um, and create a think tank like this. Um, it was kind of the official marriage of Bush conservatism with Clinton, uh, Clintonian um, democracy, right, or, or Democrats. And uh, you know, I, 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 it's, it's obviously chock full of people who come from the security world. Uh, a name that I left out was David Kramer, who was the person, Hans, I'm sure you know who he is, right? He's the guy who delivered the steel dossier to John McCain. <clears throat> so there's a lot of spooky people involved in this organization. I'm not exactly sure where the money comes from. Um, but you know, they, it's not a high tech, um, high investment kind of thing. They basically just built a website and, and reporters did most of the work. Uh, so 
but it, it it is interesting. Like I would be interested to know more about the, the genesis of this project. Right, exactly. Especially given what you just said, that this is a, 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 <laughs> the epitome of an outgrowth. I mean, you couldn't have had a, a better definition of that word because the, the group itself uh, um, has nothing to do with that. I mean, that's just, uh, you, you mentioned the, the old Marshall Plan. I mean, this is... Uh, yeah, no, the, the, the origins of this particular project would be extremely interesting to, uh, to delve into. Yeah, Kramer, of course, is, uh, the old Bushy who, um, who got involved with steel and then, uh, yeah, gave uh, McCain the uh, steel dossier. And, uh, that in itself caused tremendous problems, uh, because then McCain inserted it into the Armed Services Committee and then that whole thing took a, on a life of its own. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by the fact that this particular project isn't just Trump. We're so used to all these things being anti-Trump, this and that. But this is this is much broader. This is just basically we go, we go against anyone that we don't like and we just call it Russia or Russian bots. And then um, that's it. And as you said, <laughs> academia... Uh, media, everyone just jumps on the back. Think tanks yeah, too. Yeah, we we haven't even gotten to that, but we we have we have a video coming out about all the different think tanks that that relied on this research to do their own research. So, um, yeah, I mean, this thing took on a life of its own. It it became a way of describing uh, this sort of shadow subversion movement in America, right? So any, anytime you wanted to describe something as being uh, subversive or maybe somehow not organic, right, you, you would um, you would look at the Hamilton 68 dashboard and say, oh my goodness, there couldn't possibly be an organic movement called hashtag walk away. That has to be a, a foreign idea right i mean <laughs> otherwise there couldn't possibly be people who actually want to leave the democratic party so uh, l let's call that you know foreign subversion and that's what they were doing with with all of these different topics you know even the parkland shooting like they were on both sides of that issue which is which is really weird right where, where the the message is basically we're describing americans arguing with each other as a foreign phenomenon um, so it's very, it, it, it's very disturbing. I think, uh, you know, I don't know, but my guess is the, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, um, probably didn't know how, how, uh, enthusiastically the press would swallow this up. <laughs> you know, they, they made issues out of everything, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Right. And then when we if we compare that again to the uh, what we what we know about Russian bots, real Russian bots, supposedly the well, I don't I don't even say we know that, but let's just take it. Uh, let's just assume it's true that um, uh, Russian agents bought uh, ads on Facebook for, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 dollars, whatever. Uh, it's just again, it just pales in comparison. Like, you know, five minutes of these guys doing their thing <laughs> trumps whatever uh, the actual Russians might have done. And that's sort of a, a recurring theme. Well, right, and, yeah, and sorry to interrupt you, but just, just think about this, right? They had people testifying in front of the Senate about how many people saw the Internet Research Agency ads. And then you had a headline in the New York Times, like 130 million people were exposed to you know, these ads, which nobody in the world saw, right, um, at the time. 
But how many, how many hundreds of millions or even billions of people saw these headlines, you know, um, that, that were, that came out of the Hamilton 68 source stories. I mean, I, I, it has to dwarf that number, uh, you know, by fact, you know, like a factor of 20 or 30, I would think. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't even begin to compare. So, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but. No, not at all. That was my, that was exactly the, the, the point I was making that this is, it, it doesn't, I, I think 20 is, is, is a very low count. I mean, it's probably a thousand right. times. Um, I mean, when, when all these things came up, I don't, I, I didn't recall ever seeing anything that was later traced back to the so-called, uh, you know, Russian bots or Russians buying Facebook ads or just never saw any of that. Whereas what these guys here put out and which, what you put out today, their stories, I, I remember a whole bunch of their stories, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm not so easily kind of convinced by this stuff. But, you know, what about all the people out there who, who see this stuff and also who don't have time to, you know, read up on all the details? And, you know, th- that really brings me sort of to the bigger issue here is well, you're really seeding this, this anti-Russian hysteria. And, you know, forget about Ukraine or whatever. OK, that that that. We'll just leave that aside because th- these guys started in 2015, and um, of course, they, because of all this, Trump never ever had a chance of actually making peace, or even trying to make, or even talking. Just uh, you know, criminalizing diplomacy. That's what these people did, and that's kind of what ended up uh, ended us uh, up where we are now. Yeah, I think that's an important point, right? Like the the the, the subtext of all these stories was that if if you were simpatico with Russia, if like if the, if the Russians liked you, then they were going to surreptitiously support your point of view online by, you know, having armies of trolls uh, around you. And, and probably this this idea developed because some official somewhere had a negative experience on Twitter of saying something and being attacked by people who found their views unpopular right um but this idea that that, like russia is always around us and that there are always these foreigners who are who are in our midst in our midst and and um siding maybe with your next door neighbor or with one with uh you know a person you might work with or with a colleague of yours i mean this is this was something that infected the news business I, i remember when all these stories were coming out um, you know, the, the few of us who were not so sure about this Russia story, we suddenly found ourselves pretty alone, right? Like we, we were nobody's friend on, on Twitter, um, really quickly. And I think that's what happened with these stories. Like it, it, uh, it created sort of a, one big in group and then an, an out group of people who were described as subversive, who just got angrier and angrier. And I, I think it did tremendous damage to American society, this stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the, just for instance, there's the uh, McGonagall situation from a few days ago. So this is the FBI, the former FBI, uh, you know, higher up who was arrested for, um, well, he's arrested for the wrong reasons. He was charged with, uh, making false statements. But <laughs> when you read the indictments, it's what he did is actually a lot, lot worse than that. But, you know, we can do a different separate spaces on that. But, the, there were two indictments, and this is my point. And one was about him uh, lobbying on behalf of this Russian guy, Derry Pasca. 
And the other one was about him taking bags full of cash, which he was, you know, handed in dark alleys somewhere in New York and so on, and it, several times, um, to, in effect, open and invest. One of the things he did is open an investigation into someone uh, who was the the enemy or the target of the person who paid the money. I mean, you, you can't get more corrupt than that. And so this is an American higher up FBI. He did that. There are these bags full of cash. There's a girlfriend who talks about the bags full of cash lying next to the bed. And all the media, and I'm talking about both sides and large parts of Twitter as well, we're talking about is all oh, the Russians, all oh, Derry Pasca, the Russian connection, the Russians were doing this disinformation, you know. And, and that's because this whole discussion has been, you know, yeah, infected. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Like people, people are missing the point that, I mean, that money could be Saudi, it could be Israeli, right? It could be from the UAE. I mean, people, I, I remember early on in Russiagate, somebody talking, the one, one of the figures was going to be charged with a FARA violation. Maybe it was Flynn, right? Um, but, you know, there was a somebody I knew in the um in congress was laughing like if they actually charged every FARA violation and in, in washington like the whole city would be behind behind bars but people of course they're they're not focused on that the 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 significance of the mcgonagall story for everybody is going to be this idea of you know our society is infected by this particular enemy and you know R- russia just assumed this metaphorical significance for um, for a lot of America and, and especially for the news media. Like I was really shocked by that in 2016, 2017, maybe it was a reaction to Trump. I don't know, but suddenly like, you know, Russia represented pure evil. And, you know, now it's like, we're living out the crucible every day. It's, it's, uh, crazy. Um, and you know, I, I hope we come out of this sort of mania, but you know, who knows if we ever will. I, I certainly hope so. Um, Matt, have you got a bit more time? I know you got to kind of jump. Uh, you can't make it very long because uh, I was hoping to get some questions um, in. Yeah, I can take a couple. Sure. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to go through them here. Um, in order. By the way, I see Brandon Straka here, but I, I should just mention that, you know, he's he's the guy who started the, the walk away campaign, hashtag walk away. <laughs> so, like, there were re- real victims of this thing. Uh you know, you had people who were just doing their thing organically, who, because of this dashboard, were smeared as like, you know, beneficiaries of foreign largesse or or foreign espionage. Um, that's not that's not like a laughing matter. That's that's like very seriously offensive, and and. Uh, I I I think there should be consequences for the reporters who engaged in this kind of stuff as casually as they did. I completely agree. I mean, you could not be more grassroots than what uh, Brandon did, and then to be you know bunched up in this basket is just just absolutely horrible. So I'm just gonna um, the thing. I'm just gonna follow the order that this thing gives me. I, I guess it's that's how long people have been waiting. If if not, I apologize. So let's start with um, with Alex. Alex, you're on. Hey, how are you? Hey. 
Um, my question, I guess, would be, um, I, I noticed you had a few of the examples of the, the accounts that were named as Russian bots. Uh, is there any t- intention of making the full list public or um, is there any reason why like it couldn't be made public? So, yes, yeah, so I'm going back and forth about that. Like I, I worry about people, um, you know, maybe even indirectly being called agents of Russian influence or being put on a list. Um, but so I, I, as I'm going through the list, calling people, I'm kind of asking them, how would you feel about if I made this public? Um, so probably at some point I'm going to do that. Uh, and I'm also giving it to, to media writers as I, as I mentioned to Hans earlier. So I, sooner or later, it's going to be made public. I just, I want to do it in the right way you know, make, make sure that it's, nobody's like offended or harmed by it. Gotcha. Sounds solid. Mm-hmm. Undead, you're on now. Oh, thanks Hans. Uh, Matt, thank you for hopping on another one of these spaces with Hans. It's, Great to see you again. No, thank you. Um, so I wanted to kind of follow up. I think we talked with Hans a few weeks ago. And as it relates to the IRA activity, and that's sort of the bigger, that's sort of the larger context that all this has taken place in. You know, there, there's been allegations out there about these supposed Russian Twitter bots. So have you seen any indications that any, any of it was really legit um, based on what you've been able to look through? So when, I mean, that's really a separate story, but when, when this first came up as an issue, um, Twitter, Twitter initially felt that they had, that their problem level was zero, right? So when this, when they were first asked about it in August of 2017, uh, like the executives all laughed about it. They, they basically declared, we don't have, an issue about that. Um, they already had a, a, they thought a very serious and sophisticated set of, um, uh, safeguards in place that would have prevented the kinds of bots that, uh, the Senate or, and, and the house ended up talking about. Then they went through this phase where they actually tried to count up how many accounts they could trace to, the internet research agency. And that ended up being a very small number. Like they, they, they initially reported it as, um, I think the number was 22 accounts that they called high risk and then 201 accounts that were maybe related to those accounts. Then after that, after they got yelled at by Senator Mark Warner, who called those, those results inadequate, they brought in an outside law firm and then they had, they had the outside law firm, Deborah Waz and Plimpton, uh, work with MIT, I believe it was, uh, to do another study. Um, after which they came up with a new number that was something like 30,000 accounts that were connected to Russian influence or connected to the IRA accounts. Right. And that number made everybody happy. And after that, they stopped looking is from, from what I can tell. But I think internally, they all felt 
the real number was 22, right? <laughs> like, I think that that's what you see in the email record. And in terms of like, you know, bot networks, they, you see a lot of email traffic and maybe at some point I'll publish these. There's a lot of these emails back and forth between the tech people saying, I wish the outsiders would understand that the kind of amplification that they're talking about by bots um, would be impossible under our system. Like we already get rid of that kind of activity if it's detected. Uh, so like, for instance, with this list, the Hamilton 68 list, even though some of these accounts may be automated, they're not amplifying each other because the, if they if they did, they, they probably would have been deactivated. Uh, does that make any sense? Like, in, in other words, tw- Twitter internally did not feel like they had a real issue. Um, and only to the extent that they represented publicly that there were more accounts, that was, I think, much more of a political decision than they were willing to admit. And, and you mentioned some of the 22 were uh, like MFA, Ministry of Foreign Affairs accounts, things like that. Yeah. So, so when, when, when they, when they did their initial, um, they had this thing they called the Russia task force. Uh, the, the only accounts that they could, they were absolutely sure. Cause what they did is they, they looked at the accounts that Facebook sent to Congress. So that was, that was a pretty big, um, it was like 9,000 accounts overall or 8,000 accounts overall. So they analyzed those manually. Um, and the the only ones that could be absolutely sure were Russian were like RT and, or, and maybe one other account. And then the other ones were they just called high risk, um, probably because they were in Cyrillic or they were created in Russia or something like that. Um, but they they did not. I, I have not yet run into emails from anybody saying we've got a problem and, uh, somewhere. And I did look for it. Um, it's not, it's not impossible that it's in there, but, but I'm not seeing it. Great. Um, so next one on the list is uh, Regina. So um, those of you who don't know Regina, she Regina, has a book out. Regina, Ma- I'm, sorry. Uh, I'm on, not um, the cat Saskatchewan. She has a book out on Sergey Million. It's on her Twitter, so I recommend everyone you know go there and and, and buy it. All right, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Hans. I that's um, Matt. Great thread. Um, well, thank you. One thing I one thing I struck me today on your thread uh, talking about Hamilton um, was the the board and two people struck me um, that when I went to Putin Con, believe it or not, that's a thing. In March 2018. Putin uh, Con? What is Putin Con? Um, it was uh, Gary Kasparov started it. Oh. It was the Human Rights Foundation. And the speakers all talked about Russian bots, Russian bots. Uh, to Miss Hendrick Ives, David Kramer, Luke Harding, Michael Carpenter. Uh, the list goes on and on. But what struck me that was interesting was, especially with Kramer and Ives, are both on the board for Hamilton and, you know, like Hendrick works with uh, McFall at Stanford. So you kind of saw this pattern with a lot of these propaganda people way back, but with Tumas, um, he was spouting like 85% of the bots 
were from Russia for the Catalonia uprisings and from Venezuela. Um, the Brexit were all Russian bots. And like Hans is saying, this is international. It's not just Trump. It's not just partisan. This is a huge, huge transatlantic propaganda push to to war. And they did a great job because they were successful, you know. So I just wanted to say that. But all right. Thanks, guys. No, thank you, uh, Regina. Yeah, there, there's there's the I forget what the British um, out, outfit is called, but they they have integrity initiative. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like so there, there's something like that going on. Um, in a bunch of countries where, you know, they've, they've created this, this new um, sort of genre of research that is proliferating all over the place and in, in, uh, not just in the United States, but in Canada, in the UK, in France, in Spain. Um, and, you know, they're, they're ostensibly in the business of hunting for like foreign influence campaigns, but you know, when, when you actually drill down into it um, and you look maybe months later at all the headlines, like for instance, there was a lot of hullabaloo about the French elections uh, at one point and like hashtag Macron leaks, but it was sort of quietly admitted later that there was no real Russian operation there. And, you know, um, that was all, that was really all for nothing. I, I think this is, it's kind of like an academic scam. Uh, I, I think. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that, mm-hmm. and that one other thing, um, undead has been doing a lot of, um, research on the new knowledge on the NGOs more domestically, but it would be interesting to look into, um, when New Knowledge and the Democrat, Dem- Democracy Integrity Project hooked up, which is John Podesta, who's also with Hamilton, um, and they started a group called Disinfo 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, you know, just to try to make sure there was no bots in the November, disin- you know, midterms. And that would be a really interesting um, search engine. Check, like, Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn, because he was part of the funding for the whole group getting together and yeah I think yeah so it's a whole rabbit hole I, if i could just quickly I, I, the observation i have about that is that um you might have noticed that uh clint watts in early 2018 said i'm not sure about this bot thing um <laughs> so i think i think they realized that hamilton 68 um, was a problem, right? Like maybe it might even have been because they got pushed back from Twitter. And so you quickly see them in 2018 and 2019. Suddenly they're introducing themselves as coming from other, other organizations, whether it's disinfo or the foreign in, uh, influence. Uh, I forget what the Watts is also part of some other agency uh, begins with an F um, or the Alliance for Securing Democracy or whatever it was, but everyone's so suddenly everybody stopped mentioning ha- Hamilton 68 um, and moved to a different model. So uh, I have a feeling that that was part of what was going on with this, with the, the disinfo um, thing even after the fiascos with, uh, with, um, new knowledge, and then uh, Watts saying that about um, 
about the bots in early 2018, I think they needed to find the new model. And and just to you know emphasize again the the nefariousness of this in in the bigger scheme of things, and you know uh, as, as Regina mentioned, this is like has huge international uh, ramifications and, and scope. This this uh, this effort you have these you have as you, and you mentioned Matt like Kyrillic very bad you know tweets with tweets with Kyrillic bad and you know suspicious and whatever. You're smearing like an entire nation, an entire people, an entire culture, language, everything, and then compare that to say what happened in 2020 when the when the virus arrived. You know, don't blame Chinese people. Chinese people are not responsible, and so on. Which is, of course is true, and those were good things to say. But somehow here everything is totally different. Here it's okay that you know anything Russian is terrible, and that's that's the end result of this kind of campaign. But um, I'm gonna. Uh, Next one is Aaron. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, thanks, Matt. This is Aaron Curiosity. I'm one of the private plaintiffs on the Missouri v. Biden oh, case. Um, yeah, along with Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Koldorf. And so the, the background to my question is uh, the previous Twitter files, but also the documents that we've recovered on that case where we're alleging uh, government-pressured censorship and government collusion with the social media companies on censorship. And when I look at your, your drop from today and I look at this Hamilton 68 outfit, you look at the board of directors, you look at the way the, the people that were targeted, sort of, uh, you know, people that uh, had some mid-level following or influence on Twitter, but probably individually didn't have the resources to to push back or to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the sheer sort of breadth of of how many different types of people or accounts they they accused of, of being part of this Russian bot deal. And I, I put all this together, and this is a theory. This is a, the probable, probable cause stage of evidence, not that, you know, beyond reasonable doubt. But it, this seems to me to have all the fingerprints of an intelligence community propaganda operation, um, where the goal was to, you know, dis- to, to create enough confusion about this issue and also to, to sort of do this so many times that if any one or another person pushed back and said, Hey, wait a minute, this is easily falsifiable. Um, and, you know, e- even if some more responsible journalists before running these stories were to sort of fact check and, and, and go out and fairly easily in most cases verify that, no, this is actually a real person. This is a grassroots organization. Still, they were doing it so much that even if, I don't know, 10, 20% of these efforts went through and made it to the newspapers and and started to spread the story, that would have been sufficient. So I guess my question is, what is your sense of, um, you know, the the possibility that this Hamilton group was sort of astroturfed, um, you know, intelligence community, uh, administrative state, type of an operation like we've seen with some of the other quote-unquote public-private partnerships, SISA and its relationship with uh, certain, you know, misinformation nonprofits and so right, forth. Right, right. Um, well, I mean, I look, if you look at the list of people on the board of Alliance for Securing Democracy, it's got like a, a retired acting CIA director, a deputy director of the NSA, right. and a retired director of the DHS there. And, um, 
you know, I, it's not hard to imagine. And, and obviously Clint Watts himself is a counterintelligence um, agent. Uh, right. It's not hard to imagine uh, that this was cooked up in, in some way. Uh, but, you know, we don't have anything to speak to that. You know, all, all we have are indications. Uh, I, I, I think the, the composition of the people of the, um, of the, of the names behind this effort kind of speak for themselves. Uh, but it, it, it certainly would, as I said to Hans before, it, it would be really, really interesting to learn more about the origins of, um, this particular operation, like how, how they, how they came to fund it, whose idea it was. Right. Like, I think all, all that right. stuff would be really, really interesting to know. Um, and, uh, and I hope, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if litigation emerges from something like this. So maybe, maybe we'll find out and that, and that would be great. So, um, but it's, I, I appreciate the question. Yeah, very good. Thanks. I appreciate your comment. Hans, I got to run. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, everybody. If that's okay. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining okay. us. Thanks for all your right. time. Take care. Everybody. Thank you so much. Take Bye-bye. care. Right. Sorry about the uh, everyone who was in the queue who didn't get a chance to ask a question. And by the way, this queue system is very odd. I just literally went through exactly how it appeared from top to bottom, but it kept shuffling. <laughs> I don't know why it did that. Um, Steve, you were going to be next. You were next in in line. Uh, I know, obviously, Matt's gone now. But was there anything uh, that that you wanted to throw out here? Um, yeah, a couple of things. One thing I was going to suggest to Matt when he was uh, wondering how to release the names, or is to at least offer people who the to confirm to people who asked whether they were on the list. Um, you know, I, I, as somebody that would be. I think there are probably various people who'd be interested in knowing. Um, a second observation on Watts: uh, before Hamilton '68, he was very involved in uh, Syria controversy, and he was uh, took a variety of very strange positions in that, where he was basically trying to sanitize U.S. cooperation with Al Qaeda in Syria as a way of uh, sticking their finger in Russia's eye. Um, and in, in that capacity, he was already um, developing concepts that anybody who uh, disagreed for um, the kind of uh, peculiar uh, support of U.S. intel agencies for jihadis in Syria was somehow Russian disinformation. So you can, tr- I think one can trace back some of Watts's um, uh, tactics um, a couple of years, a couple of years earlier. The the other the other organization that was uh, seems to be a predecessor to uh, Hamilton sixty eight was an organization called Prop or Not, which came out of uh, Ukraine, and they were. Uh, labeling, um, this would be in late uh, 2016, uh, labeling anybody that was uh, critical of the uh, Ukrainian nationalists as uh, Russian bots. And so those those two seem like uh, 
predecessors to to Hamilton sixty eight. So I'll, I'll sign off. Helpful background. Yeah, thank you for that. So again, apologies for anyone who didn't get a turn. Um, and I will look into this how the turn thing works because it just it literally keeps shuffling uh, names. So I, I you know some algorithm is sorting out uh, who, who goes to the top. I guess I, I don't know. Um, anyway, just uh, Nick was next on the list, so go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Perfect. All right. Well, um, congrats on having Matt on. He did a uh, Damn good job. I think he is a uh, he is a <laughs> a great asset to Twitter and uh, you know what what Twitter Twitter 2.0 especially. Um, I did want to ask him about several things about uh, uh... oh shit my mic pulled out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, when it when it came to what his what their motivation was, I would say, you know, because there were a lot of Democrat operatives that were running this op or, or this, this organization, this think tank that was pushing Twitter to censor people and take them offline and, you know, call them Russian bots and everything. How much did Twitter actually budge at the end of the day? Because obviously we saw emails that were up to a certain point. What happened after that? You know, because it seems like Twitter did end up censoring a lot of these people and ended up falling into this narrative. Was it because Congress people got involved and senators got involved? What was their breaking point? That's what I would like to know. Well, Matt mentioned earlier that uh, this tied in with an earlier thread of his where he described how, uh, for instance, Schiff or other people in government were, in fact, pressuring Twitter. And so there are, there are certainly parallels there or, you know, overlap um, with that. Yeah, and I, I think there's going to be a lot more revealed here. Um, but I, I guess we'll I guess we'll see. I know Matt's doing a, a damn good job, as I said. And, you know, I'm going to let other people speak here because, you know, the main reason I was coming up was to kind of ask him a bunch of questions. And you're probably not going to go know the answer to them, but I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Matt. It, Matt is absolutely fantastic, and I kind of, I really wish it had just been him because it, you know we all know it started with him. And if you'd asked me in the, earlier last year, say March of last year, like what what would be like the most amazing thing that could ever happen, I would have said Elon buys Twitter and he gives gives Matt Taibbi the you know all the Twitter files, <laughs> and then that actually <laughs> happened. So that's really yeah. cool. The yeah. only the problem is that, and problem in my view anyway, is that he, for some reason, and I, I haven't asked Matt what the reason is, uh, and I, you know, maybe he doesn't know, but um, why did it then go to all these other people? That that that's sort of my question there. Right. Um, I, I think the concern was that they didn't want it to look. Matt has been now accused, and we know this isn't true, but Matt has been accused of being a right wing journalist now, right? So I think Elon wanted to kind of split it up a little bit. And there are so many files as well. There are so many emails. There are so many records and logs that I think it would be impossible for one person like Matt to be able to go through. Um, I mean, we're looking at the Fauci files, right? And those haven't been released. And they're not going to be released until February because there is just so much content. You have 7,500 people working at Twitter at the time. 
So, I mean, I, I don't blame them for him for bringing on so many different journalists. There were some <laughs> I probably wouldn't have done, but, you know. No, that's, that's true. But um, I, I think the, the selection could have been a, a bit better because what you really need is you need two qualities in these people. I mean, first of all, they need to have integrity. They need to be honest. So then, you know, a lot of journalists kind of fall off. Okay, fine. The ones you're left with, you got to choose the ones who actually know this stuff on a, on a granular level. You really, if you're going to sit in that office and do keyword searches and, it, you know, it all has to be quick and you have to understand what these things mean. You have to be able to tie these things together and then in order to do the follow-up. Like, you know, what Matt was describing earlier, the fact that he even got these Hamilton things came from another search. But that's because he knows this stuff inside out. And, and you know, unfortunately, some of these people that uh, were given the right to do these things don't know these things inside out. And that, that's sort of my, my major problem with that. Right. And you make a great point there. Uh, by the way, I made Undead a co-host here just to, uh, you know, he, he knows the stuff inside out. <laughs> so, Undead? Yeah, thanks, Hans. I mean, I was just going to kind of jump in because we picked up a, a few comments where people are, are rightfully, I think, questioning what the broader context is because it doesn't really make sense, right? That a bunch of people would set up a website, presumably pay quite a month, quite a bit of money or, or fundraise quite a bit of money, and then just start calling out random accounts as Russian Twitter bots. Like, what? why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. And for those that are looking for a possible broader context, it's important, um, I think, to keep in mind and keep in context that these individuals running the Hamilton 68 website are closely tied to new knowledge. And new knowledge is funded uh, through various companies, shell companies or whatever you want to call them, by Fusion GPS and TDIP, which... It is essentially the same thing as Fusion GPS, at least in, in the 2017 period, and that most of their fundraising from TDIP was flowing to Fusion GPS. So um, really kind of indistinguishable. And that, that falls right back into the broader context of, you know, some of these Democrat operatives that were up to no good. And they're really trying to cre- create this narrative in that the Russians were trying to interfere with our election process. And, you know, you go back and you look at the, Internet Research Agency indictment, they don't talk about Russian bots in there. There's nothing in there about Russian Twitter bots and this whole, you know, campaign of amplification. That's not, that's not in there because they didn't do that. Um, that was, you know, this narrative really seems to be jumped out of, uh, you know, Democrat operatives. And I was talking to Walker Fire a couple weeks ago and you look into Peter Strzok's book that came out a couple years ago. And in the fall of 2016, apparently a social media expert reached out and scored a meeting with Peter Strzok in which the social media expert, the unnamed social media expert, details this this allegation that we're talking about today, that the Russians had this campaign out there on Twitter, on Facebook, that was going to result in amplification, disinformation, and um, they were trying to influence the election. And that seems to fall squarely within what Fusion GPS was sort of cooking up. And, you know, as, after the election happened, after Trump won, that's when the story really starts to pick up where, you know, Hillary's looking for an excuse for why she lost. And it's really, really easy to say, well, you know, the Russians were retweeting Donald Trump and retweeting all these Republicans. And, you know, that was really a, that was a fake narrative. And that's why I keep asking Matt every time I see him about whether he's find, found any legitimacy to the Internet Research Agency sort of narrative, because, these same researchers, you know, the new knowledge researchers, a lot of people don't know this. They drafted a report for the Senate 
in which they supposedly detailed all these influence operations on social media that the Russians were, were doing. But then in 2017, they were found to have created thousands of Russian Twitter bots themselves, the same researchers. And, and that poses the logical question, okay, did the Russians actually create those Twitter bots in 2016? Or did these researchers just make it up? Or did they create Russian Twitter bots? Because it's, it's too remarkable to have a group of researchers report on a subject and then turn around within months and say, yeah, they're actually doing it themselves, right? Like, like that, that just doesn't make sense. So once you start grouping in Fusion GPS, and, and of course, that's a really convenient place to go to. It, I mean, I think it's highly likely, but um, I don't have certainty whether or not um, this narrative is really being pushed by them. But I, I think that's probably the likely context that'll be coming down the road at some point as we get more reporting from Matt. And you you do bring up a good point here, and I think it is worth noting, I did mention this on Mario Space earlier, that John Podesta, who was the former campaign chair of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016, is on the board of the think tank that was pushing this to Twitter. And that is that is one of the biggest parts about this, uh, one of the biggest bombshells that Matt Taibbi released today. You know, you also had John Podesta's niece, in uh, that actually worked at Twitter as well, and she was implicated in a previous Twitter files drop. Yeah, well, you so, have to you have to remember too that John Podesta played a crucial role in fundraising for TDIP and Fusion GPS entities that were funding new knowledge. So keep that in mind as you as you think about John Podesta. Right, and, and it's also worth keeping in mind that he is still one of the top Democrat operatives in the country to this day. So. So I've just uh, put on the next person on the list. And again, apologies for this uh, this whole list system, which I'm sure I saw your name in there earlier. But anyway, uh, D- Dan, Daniel. Uh, I don't think he's up. Oh, now he is. Yep. Dan, Dan for CA31, you're up. Uh, you muted your mic again. Uh, hit it in the bottom left-hand corner. It was on, but now it's off. Okay, we'll go to Bobby, who's next on the list. Bobby, yeah. you there? Hi. Um my question is, do we know if anything is changing with regard to access of data at Twitter? Um, are there still pipelines uh, of data going out to the data miners and to the agencies? Uh, and have any of the agencies uh, backed off because of Twitter files? No, we don't know, uh, but it's a really good question. What we do know, in particular, uh, there was a, uh, I think it was Dave Rubin who put out a thread yesterday. He, he went to speak to Elon about all these problems that, that they're having. And it just seems like the, the infrastructure that Elon was presented is so 
kind of intracted and and complex and it's just like got traps everywhere and it's just a this giant mess and uh, apparently Elon said you know maybe the best thing would be to just kind of press the reset button and just put put out you know a whole new package uh, because then you don't have to deal with fixing all these old problems so i i i know that's more on the sort of software side but um if that's the case on that side, I mean, who knows whether they've addressed this other side that you're talking about, the, the data mining. And I wonder if it, it will be a battle. In other words, um, if Twitter um, decides that they're not going to share data with um, agencies, um, will that turn into um, some kind of battle or will, you know, will, you know, will it just stop there? Well, the normal process is you got to, the, the agencies have to go through a process and they have to uh, get subpoenas and things like that. And that completely collapsed under the, the old Twitter regime where they, you know, Elvis would make a call and Yol would hand over whatever. So, um, you know, at, at, a mini- as a, at a minimum, they should just go back to just following the, the normal legal process for these things. And I'm sure they will or already have. Excellent. And thank you for your work. I appreciate it. All right. Um, next one is Parson. Are you there? I don't know if I pronounced. I really mangled someone's name today, so sorry about that. Uh, I, Parson, I, I, I didn't hear the the mic click over. I was responding to a great uh, re uh, tweet by Monica. Uh, you know, it, it, if I could, and don't don't mind my parrot. Uh, so she's got a foul mouth, and it didn't come from me. Uh, but uh, Alex has heard her before. Um, you know, the thing is, when we look at this with the Russia, 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 I see a much deeper, sinister. <laughs> Good night, Lola. I wish you would go to bed, hon. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Uh, it, it, I feel like uh, I feel like some of the guys I watch on YouTube when their dogs start barking, only the, their dogs don't say <laughs> the things my birds do. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what? Let me. Can I come back? Can you come back to me? Let me go put her to bed. Actually, <laughs> so give me give me five if you can, gentlemen. Sure, no worries. Uh... Is Daniel back? Does he know how to unmute? Guess not. Um, next one on, well, the list that I'm presented here is Jack. Jack, are you there? I don't see him up here. All right. Uh, Dylan, you there? Dylan, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? Good. You got a question? Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask what, I mean, with all the uh, secretive stuff going on with Twitter and data and just, just even the whole government scheme, what, like, 
could could countries have played like a role in silencing their own people. Like I'm talking about like countries like Brazil, like right after uh, a Bolsonaro loss, there's a big giant thing about him. And actually the, I just saw a headline that the Democrats are trying to deport him. So I'm just asking like what, what other governments have played a role in silencing their own people in this too, that so, we don't know about. I, I can answer that if you want me to. Uh, yes, please. Sure, okay. Yeah. So it's it's very clear, and there's record of it. Elon Musk has actually uh, spoken about it recently, that Brazil is actively... Twitter has a large operation in Brazil itself, because Brazil is a big market for Twitter. Uh, so they actually have staff there and everything, and they have been uh, backing down to the orders that the Brazilian government has been giving them. And now he is he's trying to solve that, he's trying to fix it, but you know, as he has said, he can't weed out everything immediately. It's going to take some time. But they are actively censoring, to a huge extent, speech down in Brazil, especially about the election. I'm sorry, Nick. Can you repeat that again? My mic just, like, um, uh, cut out. Yeah, yeah, sure. Long story short, Twitter's operation down there in Brazil is actively censoring tweets, uh, uh, you know, tweets and uh, spaces even that have anything to do with the Brazilian election from last year, uh, Bolsonaro versus Lulu, where it's pretty contested, as we saw during that riot uh, a few weeks ago. So, yes, yeah, so that, that is a continuing problem, and that is a true story that Elon Musk has, has acknowledged. Uh, my question is, is, why are the world still at war? Why why can't we just find peace with each other? Money and power. But if that is the gongles of the world and we are stuck in between, surely our words are more powerful than their Actions. Who are you referring to? I'm referring to the people who's trying to fuck up our own way of living. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hijack this space and get too far off topic. So, <laughs> yeah, I want to actually go back to the previous point um, about Brazil. Uh, the same thing happened in India just just this week, where uh, there's, right. a, there's a video going around about Modi and uh, the Indian government wants to suppress it. And you know, uh, Elon's really in a, between a rock and a hard place. And what is he going to do? The the United States is the only country in the world that has the First Amendment. I, that that cannot be emphasized enough. I mean, people assume, oh, you know, you got First Amendment everywhere. No, you don't. Um, you know, in Europe. It's like, yeah, free speech, but with restrictions. If the, if the restrictions are reasonable or whatever, you know, come up with all this kind of stuff. Uh, India, a common uh, law country, but they don't have a First Amendment. So the governments in Brazil, not common law, but, you know, they don't have a First Amendment either. So the governments can come in and, and just just bring down these edicts and like, OK, no, you got to shut this down. You can't show this or that. And what's Elon going to do? I mean, he, he, if, he, if he's going to operate in that country... He has to abide by the laws of that country. And it makes it all really, really difficult, you know. So there are a lot of people tweeting at him this week about, you know, upset about this uh, Indian video. But 
I, I really don't know what he what he could do. Well, see, the problem is India has over a billion people, right? And they have a large presence on Twitter as well. So, yes, what does he do about it? Because India has made it no secret that they will ban you. They will ban your websites from uh, from from their internet uh, if you do not obey what they want you to do. So it does put Elon Musk in a really tough spot. So it, 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 in, in, a, in a monetary sense, it would be terrible for him to lose India. But from a, a standpoint of principle, if he is a free speech absolutist, he'll tell them to go pound sand. So I guess we'll see. And then there's the EU as well. You, you, we've all noticed how he's been quite nice, uh, Elon has, with <laughs> Macron, for instance. Um, Macron sent a commissioner to Brussels, and this commissioner is in charge of these kinds of things in the EU, and that's, you know, 500 million people. And, of course, they don't see free speech in the First Amendment way. They, you know, they keep talking about uh, they have all these hate speech laws and all these restrictions and so on. And so the uh, European Commission has been talking about, oh, Twitter is so terrible because they allow all these things to be said or whatever. So that's another tightrope walk that um, they haven't done anything yet, but that's always sort of there on the horizon where they could just come and uh, ban Twitter in Europe. I don't think that's going to happen, but, you know, fine it or, you know, they find Facebook some billions of dollars, uh, you know, things like that could, could easily happen. So it's... It's not easy. And I think, you know, people don't realize it goes all the stuff that's happened in the United States is crystal clear. You know, you can't have Fauci and, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg coordinating about uh, suppressing speech. You can't do all these different things. And of course, you got the, the Missouri case, which is fantastic. But none of that applies in other countries. And, and that's that's a huge problem. Um, anyway, let me bring on uh, LQ, who's next on the list. LQ, you there? I don't know if there's a delay, but I don't see him on stage again. Let's try Heath. That's his next name. Heath, you there? Heath, are you there? Yeah, hi. Uh, so my question is, uh, in the, can you hear me? Yeah, hey, hey, Hans, uh, Jocks seems to be echoing, so if you want to tap on his picture and hit mute, that'd be great. Just for the audience's sake. Done. There you go. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Sorry, Heath, go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, in, in, in the information war, warfare space, uh, confusion and doubt favors, um, established powers who have control of the message uh, historically. So how can a, how can this type of an issue gain traction? I mean, we already see that Twitter files, uh, you know, it's necessary for the kind of drip, drip, drip release because of the, the, the number of issues at play and also kind of the complexity. These things are, you know, they require deep threads to explain. Uh, but those things tend to also muddy the waters so i mean these are extremely relevant uh issues and yet they seem to not be gaining traction or or maybe i'm wrong uh so what do you guys think about how how this stuff can actually begin to start to uh, move things the only uh, way anything's going to move is if the media uh is is 
fundamentally reformed or you know whatever needs to happen there if the media didn't lie about everything many 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 problems would go away automatically so many things can be traced back to the fact that they just lie about everything and at its core what happened today in, in matt's thread what matt was talking about is exactly that who is this you know who's hamilton 68 you know whatever just a, a bunch of, of people why why did they have so much influence why were they able to you know uh influence all these debates about tulsi and fox news and you know trump and whatever just because the media just jumped on that bandwagon without asking questions so that's that's me- media malpractice or worse and i think that can be you know you can draw the same conclusions just about everything and so you got to fix the media. I don't know how to fix the media. Um, I think it's a very slow process. It's sort of death by a thousand cuts. I mean, WAPO just lost a half a million subscribers or something. Great. Let, you know, let's hope they lose another half a million or whatever is left. And um, just, you know, it's a long process. That, that, that would be my answer. So I'm truly hoping that citizen journalism here on Twitter is going to force the mainstream legacy media to actually report real news and actually pay attention to real stories. Because if not they're really going to lose a lot of market share to us here. Unfor- yeah, I agree, but unfortunately, it's just a very slow and very long process. Absolutely. Um, and it's a shame because um, it, it's amazing what Twitter has, has sort of done for so many of us, where we're really well informed about stuff, stuff that goes on all over the place. You just need to have a, a sort of good people you follow, who you trust, who you know that you know they have a track record, record of getting it right, and you sort of you get into a sort of almost a system and, you know, OK, I trust this. This is good or whatever. And then, you you, you know, you build a, a base of knowledge as to what's going on in the news. And it, it, it's pretty accurate. I mean, it took me probably a few years being on Twitter to to get to that point. And a lot of people are at that point, And I think it's fantastic. But then what happens and we keep seeing that all the time. And with the Wuhan lab, we just we saw it like and, and with, with any number of topics. Well, it takes like a year or two or three or whatever, Hunter's laptop, for the media to catch up with what we know and what we already knew at the time. And th- that's so frustrating that it just takes such a long time to, to get anywhere. Um, I'm going to disagree with that last part real quick, though, because they knew. They knew damn well that this was a true story, but, you know, they didn't want to obviously report that at the time because it was going to – that would have been a, a – uh, a, a dent in Biden's a Biden's election campaign. So yeah, no, they they knew, but they're dishonest. But the the point is that anyone could have known if they just come on Twitter, right? <laughs> and right. if they just followed the right people on Twitter, anyone could have known the facts at the time about pretty much any topic, any topic whatsoever. The answers are there, and this is so frustrating. You have the answer for almost any issue. It could right. be you know, it could be even non political. It could be financial or you know any number of things. And you just don't can't get it out because people still, you know, watch this stuff on on mainstream media. Right. Um, Adam, you're next, but I can't I don't know why I can't get you to there's no button for you to talk. Adam, is, are you able to talk? Is, you, is there a microphone button? I don't see him on stage either. If you go into your toolbar on the bottom, hit the speakers thing. If you have outstanding invites, cancel them all. Then it'll let you bring them up. Uh, space is uh, glitchy yeah. as hell. So, I'm on a uh, peculiar headset. Uh, can I do a sound check? No, no. 
We, we everything's fine. We can hear you. Okay, fantastic. And thank you so much for hosting this. And um, I see Alex is here, so uh, thank you very much. And my question is kind of a collective question. Because Twitter files, because you have access to uh, Matt, which is uh, kind of a, a remarkable thing. He's my favorite of the uh, Twitter filers. Um, if there could be a follow-up, then uh, I'd like to pose this question to him, and maybe you can kind of uh, initiate that even just through Twitter. It doesn't have to be through a spaces, but just through a tweet. Is um, the um, a lot of people have been excluded from Twitter files, and particularly those people who are most uh, kind of tormented by uh, the old algorithms and by the old kind of policies and the, the uh, biases uh, that the, that the staffers had. And I recall during the early days of, for example, Deplorable, which was something uh, that Jack Posobiec and um, and Mike did, uh, Twitter was used as kind of a messaging app, and it was used to give a lot of environmental cues for uh, you know how to attack, where to attack, where to assemble, how to convene, who the targets were, uh, who was you know accessible. I think the same thing happened, if I recall, uh, also with was it Rand Paul? Um, so uh, I'm I'm just curious if Matt is going to uh, try and pursue kind of the early days of uh, of Trump, and again how Antifa. And I know he's been, you know, kind of aggressively shutting down Antifa use of Twitter now. But uh, if he could look at kind of the previous regime, Matt could, if he could look at the previous regime and uh, if there's a lot of information there about uh, how much information they knew about how Antifa was using it and um, whether um, whether there were other kind of uh, nefarious uh, agents within it who were uh, who are permitting it, who are knowably uh, permitting it. So uh, my question is really, is that something that you can uh, ask Matt about either through Twitter or in uh, another upcoming spaces? And I'll mute now. Sure. No, thanks for that. I'll, I'll ask him. Uh, and I think Antifa is a fantastic kind of keyword that hasn't really been explored in any of the uh, Twitter files so far. And uh, it would take some effort because you you'd have to the, the word itself wouldn't get you very far. You'd have to search for particular people and, and things like that. But, you know, one one kind of um, overarching point which struck me from today's uh, uh, Twitter files from Matt and, and we broached it uh, briefly earlier is the is that the, the guys at Twitter weren't even like that terrible if, if, if you know if you know what I mean they they knew what was going on they called it out they were they knew it wasn't right so they, they didn't sort of play along and say oh you know this is fine and yeah the, the Russians or whatever they called it out for what it is bullshit the trouble is that they then didn't follow through they didn't they didn't act upon it they didn't warn us they didn't you know do anything and as someone else uh, one of the questioners said earlier they probably and this is something that ought to be explored they probably also put those people the 600 on some uh, shadow ban and whatever lists which you know then of course that that makes it a lot more terrible than just not speaking up which is terrible in itself but the the, the just coming back to that main point like <laughs> What is it about these people that they knew that it was terrible? They talked about it internally that it's terrible, that it's a hoax, that this is not true, and then they just let let it be. I mean, that's I mean, I'm not looking for an answer or whatever, but that's something that um, people need to be held to account. And Alex, also while we were on this chat, I saw tweeted out fantastic question to all these. I remember earlier we talked about Matt who had compiled 
a bunch of headlines that were all based on this Hamilton 68 hoax. And Alex tweeted at all these people, the entire media, you know, when are you going to apologize for this? Of course, probably not. But we, we need to keep pushing because it is a giant hoax and it couldn't have happened unless the media had just parroted every single thing these Hamilton 68 people were saying. Um, Parson, go ahead. All righty. I, I love this space and I love the people coming up. Uh, in asking questions as well, quality people all. So I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna throw this out as somewhat of a deep dive. So we're, if if you go back and you look up people like uh, Jeffrey Sachs, okay, and here's a guy that was appointed uh, by the Bush administration to help put Eastern Europe up on a firm footing after the fall of the Soviet Union. And Jeffrey, part of that, Jeffrey Sachs had assumed, and he's the dean of uh, an Ivory League school. I, I don't want to get him in too much trouble by uh, saying his uh, uh, what school he's actually the dean of finance, the finance department. And this guy tells a story that kind of makes you shudder. And that story is really this simple. It has been the goal of the U.S. State Department since 1991 to break Russia into pieces. And if you and, and he stayed at that position all the way up until 1994 when he just couldn't take the hypocrisy anymore. And and he couldn't stay. He, you know, he's seen what they what what the State Department was doing. And when we look at the actions of Newland and we look at the actions of this government and we look at the actions of our media, and I'm just going to I'm just going to say this. The media is never going to change. They never admitted a lie. You know, Fox News early, early when the SMO started, played that same video over and over of that woman coming out on the stretcher and then reporting that she died. And it was all a lie. And it's, it was worse than a lie. Uh, what, can, can you clarify what you're what, what are you talking about? What's the, well, just for early, the audience? Early, early in the war, so in in uh, Mariupol, when the big battles were going on, you know, you, you have this hospital in the center of the town, and Anzio. Okay, you're talking about up, Ukraine, okay? Yeah, I'm talking about Ukraine, and we, you can't talk about Russia and, and not talk about Ukraine at the same thing. Because my point is, everything that you are seeing when you talk about this Russian box story, and everything that you've seen them do with Russia is intentional. They're blackpilling America and they've been blackpilling us since we were young. You know, we have you you can and exist right on into Hollywood. You take uh, Secret Lives of Pets. Who's the who's the bad guy in Secret Lives of Pets? Part two? It's a Russian. I mean, we are continually blackpilled about Russians all of our lives. You know, I, I'm probably one of the older people in this room. But my my point being is I no longer see I see a total effort and it's in its in its backed I mean it's back to, I mean the evidence is there. Our government has been trying to cause the collapse of Russia and break it into different and separate smaller provinces to dominate it for over three decades and you go back in time even longer. And you know, when you look at the at the lies that are being told today, every day lies are being told. They're being they were told on the Senate floor this morning and yesterday. Lies, just straight up lies. And you can confront them with the truth and what's going to happen. You're going to get blocked, quieted. I mean, that's what's going on. But as far as the media goes, and I'll land here, they don't need a lot of viewers. 
CNN has proved they can make money on 125,000 viewers. Why? Because they're selling ad time and then they're writing stories to go with it. You know, brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Northrop Grumman, brought to you by Raytheon. Trust me, they don't they don't care what we think. And they and the numbers don't really matter either. They are a propaganda machine. All of them are. All of them are. And I'll land there. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the entire that's right. It's the entire ecosystem that sort of keeps this 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 machine alive, the, the media machine. It's the ads. It's the fact that you don't even need that much money to to stay alive. It's these uh, these shadow groups in the background. It's people like Jeff Bezos, but it's also other things which are kind of more abstract but really powerful. So, for instance, you don't you can't get on Wikipedia unless you have one of these fake news media links. You can't say anything. So, oh, citation missing. And the citation has to be from one of these fake media outlets, and you know it's all lies. So that's sort of you're just stuck in a in a vicious circle. There's no way to get out of that. Um, and it applies to, you know, academic papers and, you know, what we talked about earlier. It's okay in an academic paper to quote Hamilton 68, right? But it's not okay to quote someone's substack because, oh, that's not a proper source. Um, and, and you, you know, you could write a whole book about these problems and it, it's just going to be so difficult to get out. But, uh, you know, we, we talked about if that. I, if I, if I could say some, say, sure. add to this, Hans. It's our job to do that now, and at least Elon Musk is giving us that opportunity. But I will tell you my personal opinion is our our government and uh, you know, little or you know the professional service agencies oh and just go to uh, other people's money opm.org, which is a government website by government employees. That everything we're talking about here. They they literally tell it, put it in black and white, and on you know they show graphs on how much they're controlling of of the country now that the bureaucracy has, and they're using our they don't hide anything. We are today's Soviet Union, and I'll just land there. I mean we're 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 totally screwed right now. We are so black pilled as a nation; it's incredible. Pete, go ahead. Uh, yeah, to Parsons' point, I think. You know, we're on the clock. That's what's so critical about all this right now. I know, you know, movements take time to build and the message takes time to kind of gain momentum and get out to, to the broader audiences who are more stuck with the, you know, traditional forms of media and networks and so forth. Um, but, it, you know, we, we see escalation after escalation and, and the brinksmanship that's, that's at play in, in the situation in Ukraine and th- these kind of things. It's, you know, I think, there's a there's a, a danger to uh, to this kind of uh, a pattern that makes that 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 one could almost feel as though you know we have infinite um, iterations of this of this game, and of course you know that's not how brinks, brinksmanship works, especially when you have a, when you have nuclear powers involved. Um, yeah, so that's it. It's you know I, I get you know Twitter is a great a decentralized media platform. It's uh, it's fantastic. I think you know we still lack uh, decentralized funding platforms for things like you know biomedical research that could free uh, uh, physicians and 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 medical researchers up from kind of the tyranny uh, of 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 the uh, the groupthink and and thought police uh, that comes down from their funding sources. Uh, but you know. 
I'm not trying to black pill, you know, anyone, but it, the question, it's an open question. How do we move past? How do we break through rather, uh, to, to actually get things, uh, get a, get enough critical mass of people who understand the scope and the, and the severity of these issues that it's like to realize that we can't just sit by anymore. And I mean, honestly, I don't even know if our political institutions, um, if, if the, the mechanisms are, are still in place for that to change, you know, because the, obviously the, the argument could be made that, oh, well, we have these, at least in the United States, we have these voting, you know, we have elections and elections have consequences. You vote the right people in, they make the right changes and so on. Um, but, you know, that we've seen failures in that arena, uh, I should at least say. Uh, well, even if we just leave that aside, uh, look at the people who are elected and who where, like, say, the process was proper and everything went through. And what do they do on the GOP side? They go on these fake news shows. I mean, I'm just flabbergasted each time when I see these people with Chuck Todd or whatever, you know, these serial liars. Why on earth would you go on that show? Why on earth would you talk to the New York Times or whatever? I mean, just don't do it. That, that, that sort of, that's, the, that's the starting point. You know, we can't even get to that point. Devin Nunes started it five or six years ago when he said, I'm not going to talk to these people anymore. And he's stuck by it. Now, if everyone did that, you know, that would be a huge victory. Anyway, uh, Dylan, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a reason why, like, I mean, here, I'm going to bring up uh, Ron DeSantis, for example. So so The View on ABC, uh, The View wanted to interview Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was like, hey, I I don't want to go on here. You guys have defamed me, like, so much. Why should I go on your show? And plus, also, like, he wrote a statement, if you guys remember, on I don't know where he wrote the statement, but he wrote a statement saying why he's not going to go on the view and all that. And I understand that. I, th- I, I think also not only that, I think, uh, I think a lot of these people go on the, like these shows and stuff to really debate these people and just show how much frauds they are on TV in in front of their TV crowd. So the TV crowd actually kind of thinks a little bit. Um, that's, that's just me personally um, f- from what I see. But um, if any of you guys would like to respond to that, I would like to hear an answer. Can you can you repeat a short version of that question? I can probably answer. Um, like, I, I was answering the question on why, like, uh, why why senators and House representatives, even people in the GOP, go on TV is because. Uh, to debate these people in front of their crowd, so they so they make them look like idiots in front of their crowd. Oh, gotcha. Um, I, I mean, I, so it was a rhetorical. I got you. Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna have to wrap this up soon because I see it's sort of getting late. Um, Dinner Great space, though, Hans. But, thank um, you for having yeah, it. No, yeah, thank everyone you for, for coming. And obviously, big thanks to, to Matt as well. And hopefully, we'll be able to do one again sometime. Sorry, sorry for the uh, short notice, but um, it was just kind of a last-minute thing. Uh, and Matt said, yeah, no, I have time right now. So I was, okay, let's do it right now. And that, that's how it happened. Um, so, yeah, thanks, everyone, for joining. And I'll see you next time. Thanks, Hans. Uh, thank you, Hans.